Welcome to the Hope Brooklyn Weekly Sermon Podcast. Hope Brooklyn is a community of faith in Brooklyn, New York that believes wherever you are on your spiritual journey, there's room at the table. Thanks so much for listening and enjoy this week's sermon. Um, Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm excited about the pad tie next week. That was serious. Yes. Anyone pad tie fans in the house? Come on. Pad tie. Patsy Ooh, it's going to be amazing. Uh, fall kickoff is going to be great. So be here, bring a friend. Um, it's going to be a really good time. I think it's going to be a, a wonderful kickoff uh, for, for what we're heading into this fall. Uh, as Bryant said, we're going to be launching our tables, which are like our small groups. Uh, we're going to be kicking off teams, which are our Sunday morning things, Sunday morning groups that help make, uh, help make today's uh, days like today go. Um, well, we've been giving you little sound bites explaining the various teams that happen, teaching kids, um, doing production and slides and sound, singing on that incredible worship team and playing, uh, playing music. Uh, so we'll talk about that, but we're also going to be starting a new series next week, a new series that we're calling Groundswell. Groundswell. Um, the best way that I can explain it is that we, what we think is going to happen, what, what, what God keeps putting on my heart, is uh, often when we gather here, our expectations of God are kind of like we're FaceTiming God, right? And a FaceTime with someone is real. It, it, it's happening. You're talking to another person. Uh, their personality is coming through. But there's a difference between FaceTiming someone and speaking face-to-face with someone. And so the the... The impetus for this series, the idea behind Groundswell is is a belief and a prayer that the presence of God is going to swell among us in a different way. That God is not just going to speak to us via FaceTime, but speak to us face-to-face. And we're going to use John's gospel. For for anyone who's unfamiliar, there are four gospel accounts of the life of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we're going to use John's gospel as our guide. And it's really apropos because if you ever read the four gospel accounts, you notice that John seems the most different from the other three. And the reason it's often been said by scholars that John um, kind of swells the divinity of Jesus. Like Jesus is both fully God and fully human, but the Matthew, Mark, and Luke kind of emphasize that Jesus uh, is emphasized in their gospels as a little more human. John's seems a little more divine. And so that we're going to use his gospel as our guide for what it might look like for God to encounter us. And so what I thought I would do today, because we finished our table series last week and we're, uh, we're moving in uh, to Groundswell next week, is kind of to tell you the story of how we got here, of why I think God is inviting us uh, into this series starting next week. Uh, it's going to be a little uh, story time with Russell, so cue the Mr. Rogers music and where's my cardigan? And... Uh, we're going we're gonna to jump into it. So will you pray with me? Lord, no one's here on accident. No one's here on accident. If people hear nothing else before they leave, would they know that they are not in this space by mistake? They are here because you are writing an incredible story in this world and in their life. 
And as we move into uh, uh, delving into some history and, and how we got to where we got today, Lord, and where you're taking us as a family this fall, um, would the message be clear? Would hearts be open and receptive? And would your words move among us today? So it's in your name we pray. Amen. All right. So summer 2017, two, two years ago, summer 2017 was a really bad summer for me. <laughs> it, was, it was tough. Hope Brooklyn, uh, we had just officially launched as a new church community. So for those who don't know, we're, we're a little over two years old. So we had just officially launched. And I don't know if you guys know this, but starting a new church, it's actually harder than people think. Uh, it, it was really difficult. I mean, and starting a church anywhere is difficult, but starting a church in New York City is especially difficult. Um, and for all the reasons that, that we know about this space, uh, New York City is incredibly transient. People are constantly coming and going. Uh, the, the, the tough fact, the tough reality is that many of you in this room, you probably won't be in New York in five years, and you know that. So to convince people to make spiritual community and spiritual asking spiritual questions to convince them that's an important part of their time in New York. Uh, that's a tough sell, all right? That's a tough sell. Um, we had no people when we started Hope Brooklyn. Anna and I, Anna's my wife, uh, we were living in Queens at the time uh, and we were commuting down the BQE or, or down terrible weekend trains on the M to the R to the Q. Like, we, I think we... There was one time coming down to Brooklyn, we had like four different trains uh, to get down here. Um, and th th that was back in 2016 before we launched, but we had no people. So we're sort of like uh, trying to, to sell people on this idea that doesn't exist of Hope Brooklyn. Um, people don't have bandwidth for community. You know this. I mean, no one's, what I've found is no one is in New York on accident. You know what I mean? Like no one's here, no one just wakes up and be like, oh, I'm just, I'm living in New York. I guess I'll just live here for a while. It's so hard. It's so expensive. And even my friends, I mean, you guys who are my friends who are from the city, you're constantly reassessing me like, man, if I didn't, if have, if I didn't have family living here, I don't know if I would be here, right? The, the bandwidth for community is so small. So people, it's tough to like sell people on the idea of, um, of prioritizing spiritual community, of seeking big things of God. And so we had just launched in summer 2017 and we were exhausted, we were tired. At this point, Anna and I, we had been married two and a half years. And just to give you a little snapshot, I promise you it's not gonna be about, all about me and Anna, but just to give you a little snapshot of our first year of marriage. We got married in January of 2015 in Portland, Oregon, which is where she's from. Any West Coasters in the house? All right, we got a few of you. Um, married in Portland. Two days later, she moved back to North Carolina with me because I had one semester left of seminary, grad school. Um, we, during that period of time, we discerned that God was bringing us up to New York. And so I graduated in May of 2015. Uh, through a much longer story, we decided to start a cinematography company for Anna. And so we went broke investing in gear for cinematography. And during that time, we moved back to Portland in the summer so that we could start that company, worked really hard uh, to get a portfolio up and going. Moved to New York in September of 2015. 
Um, and then to, to be a pastoral resident, for me to be a pastoral resident at Hope Astoria. And then by December of 2015, we were asked by the founder of our network to start thinking and praying about if we were supposed to launch Hope Brooklyn. All of that in the first year of marriage. <laughs> so throughout 2016 and 2017, we're building community, a church community. We're building a company. We're building a marriage. We're learning to live in New York. And we did that in three different homes. Anna and I, for those of you who know Anna, you know how incredible of a woman she is. Um, just shoot her a text today. You know, give her a hug if you see her. She's actually filming a wedding this very day, so she's not here today. Um, but like, she has made such sacrifices for you guys. And I don't say that in a way of like to shame or to guilt, like willingly, voluntarily. But she has made such sacrifices. We've been in each other's things. So the first year of Hope Brooklyn, she was the brunch team lead. I've been a second shooter in her company um, from the start. This is actually the first year that I'm able to phase my way out. I'm only saying all this to say it's been a lot. And we were exhausted. We've been refined. We've learned a lot about ourselves, about our wounds that we brought into our marriage, about our emotional triggers, and why when she says this one thing or I see this one thing, I respond the way I do or she responds the way she does. We've learned about how to be business owners, how to be colleagues, how to be marriage partners. I actually, during this season of time, I would have a recurring dream, which I'm not going to tell you because it's kind of disturbing. But uh, it was at this point where I was like slipping off into sleep uh, on the, the threshold of consciousness into sleep. And it was a scene from a movie. And I would have it almost every day, it felt like, for, for a season of time. We were tired. And so in summer 2017, we were supposed to have a game night. We were having people over to our house. And uh, I think we had just had a fight or something. And Anna walked into the living room and she goes, I can't do it tonight. And I looked at her and I said, I can't either. So I texted and canceled the game night. And I think for six months, we didn't have anyone over to our house, <laughs> which is a big deal for us because we love having people over. Early fall 2017, we started seeing a counselor, which was really good, one of the best things. Um, it helped us to understand why we respond the way we do to certain, certain stimulation, uh, to certain, why we have certain triggers. So it was really, really good. Uh, some of the, the pain started to give way. And so early fall 2017, uh, I was walking to church one Sunday. I lived down in Carroll Gardens, about a mile down Court Street. And so I was, I was, it was a very cool fall morning, and I was walking to church, and there began to, to be a stirring in my spirit, um, a churning, which I, a heaviness, which I recognized as the presence of God. Now, I want to pause here for a second. because, like, what does that mean, the presence of God? The reality is God is always present. Always present. That's, that's, that's what the ascension of Jesus is all about. And actually, Jesus' ascension is a really important doctrine uh, for the church. So for those of you who don't know, Jesus dies. Three days later, uh, he's raised from the dead, uh, according to the claims of his followers. There's, there's an empty tomb where his body is not there. And then for the next 40 days, uh, his followers and, and other people, they, they're having Jesus sightings. They're having Jesus sightings, but they're weird sightings. Like, he's not, he looks kind of like a regular human, but he'll, it'll, it'll be a locked room and then suddenly he'll appear. Behind, uh, behind the locked doors, 
or like he'll eat just like a, just like a regular human will eat. Um, but the, the disciples are like, they don't know how to place him. There's something mysterious about his body. And then 40 days after his resurrection, he takes his disciples outside of Jerusalem and he says, hey, I'm leaving. Go back to Jerusalem and wait for the gift that the Father's gonna send you. And then he ascends. That's the word, he ascends. Um, and, and often we think like he goes up and we stay down and hell is further down. But that's really not what it's getting at in the Greek. What it's trying to say is when it says Jesus ascends, is Jesus just no longer becomes visible. He's no longer visible. He's still deeply present. He's just not visible. Now, the visibility of God's presence is his spirit that he has poured out. The gift of the Holy Spirit that continues to do this work in his people. Think of it like this. Imagine a, um, imagine a, a two-dimensional square and a three-dimensional cube, right? And imagine, it's so a little abstract, this is the best way I can explain it. Imagine that you and I were the square, right? We, we are two-dimensional creatures. We can only think on length and width, right? We have no framework to conceptualize what a cube is. We can't understand height. As soon as height's presented to us, it just like, it goes invisible because we can't see it. We only see along a two-dimensional plane, right? Jesus is kind of like the three-dimensional human where we're all still the 2D humans because he's the first human that has defeated sin and death, which is why he seems super mysterious to his disciples. He seems human, but also he doesn't act. He doesn't act according to the laws of physics like the rest of us do. He's the, he's the cube and we're all still squares. You're like, speak for yourself. I'm not a square. We're all still squares. But imagine this, right? Imagine that the square is like this and the cube is turning. The cube is turning. There will be a split second, right, where the cube is perfectly turned and it mirrors the square, right? We can all make sense of that because a cube is nothing more than six squares. And when it mirrors it for a split second, what do we as squares say? We say, oh my gosh, it's a square. I see it. It makes sense. But then what does it do? It keeps turning and then suddenly it's gone and we don't understand it anymore. That's kind of what the ascension means. We have these moments when the presence of God makes sense to us according to our emotional, cognitive, intellectual level. And that's when the cube has turned. The cube is always here, but the cube is turned just enough that it mirrors us according to our framework and we see it, we encounter it, we sense it. So we, we have these moments of beauty or these moments of joy or deep passion toward justice or we have these moments where there's a stirring among us. There's a presence that is heavy in a space. For me, it was the first time it happened, I was 16. I was 16. I had been a follower of Jesus for five years, which is also interesting because I, I was a follower of Jesus before I, <clears throat> before I would say I had truly encountered the presence of God. But I was 16, I had just had a major operation. Uh, I was born with a craniofacial disorder called Golden Heart Syndrome. Uh, I'd had a major operation, and I won't get into all the details, but suffice it to say, there was a moment where I was laying in, in my bed um, and no one was in the room 
And I was just overcome with loneliness. And I just, I offered a prayer. I was like, God, you said you'd always be with me. Where are you? And just like that, there was a presence that filled the room. There was a presence that filled, filled my chest, that filled my lungs, that, that filled my head. Joy erupted in me. And I don't mean like I got happy. I mean joy erupted in me. It gushed out of me. There was a wind. There was a presence that swept through the room. The next time I was 19, I was a freshman in college. And uh, I won't go through all the details, but I was in my, my dorm room and I was praying. I was praying hard. I was seeking the Lord. And then the same thing happened. There was a presence that stirred among the, the room. And I felt like words were given to me and I wrote the words down and my hands trembled. I couldn't stop shaking. Now, I'm describing this and it probably doesn't sound too desirable. <laughs> it might sound a little nerve-wracking, doesn't it? That, I, I'm not sure if I want that, but I think that's important that we note it because I'm not talking about moments where my emotions are peaked. I'm talking about moments when the presence enters into a space that we occupy. There's a word in the Hebrew language that often talks, that's often used um, for when God inhabits uh, uh, the temple or God um, comes down um, to, to encounter someone. And the word actually translated, uh, it's not God appeared or God showed up. The word is God stationed himself. God stations himself in the temple. He sort of like comes up here and he prepares himself. He stations himself among the people. And when that happens, when the presence of God fills a room, swells a room, swells a person, a people, you get really afraid. Fear is the sign of the presence of God. And you see this in the Bible. You do. It's not uncommon. I'm not making this up. So there's a story early on in Genesis where Abraham, who, you know, God calls Abraham and he says, through you, a great people are going to come and the nations are all going to be blessed through you and through your son. And, uh, and then he's trying to confirm this with Abraham. And there's a, there's a moment where he's about to form a covenant with Abraham. And it says that at this, as this happened, we read in Genesis 15, as the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Abram fell into a deep sleep and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. That's the sign of the presence of God, a thick and dreadful darkness overcoming us. We read this in Mark 16, chapter 8, after uh, the women show up at the tomb and Jesus' body is not there. And there's, there, there's a, uh, a man in white who gives them the account that Jesus was raised from the dead. And we read, trembling and bewildered, the women went out and they fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were terrified. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. Abject dread, fear is the sign of the presence of the holy, not just an emotional feeling of happiness. Because you're suddenly in the presence of one um, that you know you have no business being in the presence of. One of my favorite descriptions of it comes from the very religious, very spiritual, uh, The Wind in the Willows. You know what I'm talking about? You ever read The Wind in the Willows? 
Uh, you should. It is an incredible, incredible story of friendship. But Rat and Mole are, are in their boat, and they're going down the, uh, the, the river, and there's a presence. They're entering into the presence of a holy creature. And they're terrified. And this is what we read. Rat, he found breath to whisper, shaking. Are you afraid? Afraid? murmured the rat, his eyes shining with unutterable love. Afraid? Of him? Oh, never, never. And yet, and yet, oh mole, I am afraid. See, that's the sign when we enter into the presence of God. Are we afraid of him? No, because he's so good. It's so good. His love is so rich. And yet, to really enter into his presence, oh yes, I am very much afraid. Because what will he ask of me? What will he want of me? It's a presence that drowns everything else out. It's a presence that swells up and around you and in you such that there is no room for anything else. No other words, no other people, no other beliefs, no other identities. It's a presence that totally absorbs you. And it's just you and the presence of the holy. I had had such experiences and I had forgotten them. There are many reasons why I had forgotten them. Seminary, uh, just developing, growing up. And then we planted a church and we were exhausted and I was walking uh, up to church in that early fall, 2017, and there was a stirring in me, which I recognize as the sign of God's presence. And as I'm walking on Smith Street, I say, Lord, will you, what are you saying to me? Give me a word of your love. What is this? What, why are you drawing near right now? Why, are you, um, why is the cube turning and I'm able to comprehend it in a real way right now? What is happening? And as I'm praying this, I turn and I see a word plastered uh, on, the, on the side of, of a wall. And, um, and I just knew it was one of those moments, and I know we can get in trouble with these moments, and you're like, oh, let me open the Bible. God, give me a word. Boop. Oh, that's not it. Give me another word. Boop. You know, we've all done that. Come on. Um, I know we can get in trouble for that, but I just knew as soon as I turned that this was, this was it. This was it. And the word I saw blazoned on the wall was groundswell. It's like, Lord, give me a word of your love. And I turned. Groundswell. Groundswell. And groundswell, for anyone who don't, doesn't know, it, it's, a, it's a, a term uh, about the ocean floor where there's usually an earthquake there's a movement of the ocean floor and then the water swells into it. It's a rapid swelling of something. That was fall 2017. Fast forward to April 2018. Anna and I are healing. We're starting to heal. The storm has passed. We're no longer exhausted, uh, but we're not fully healed yet. We're at a conference in the city called the New City Conference. And there's a woman speaking named Eleanor Mumford. I've shared this story before. And Eleanor Mumford has an incredible story. For those who don't know, uh, yes, you are correct. Her son is Sean Mumford of Mumford and Sons. Um, and Eleanor and her, her husband, John, they are pastors. And they used to be pastor, pastors in, a, in a, um, a branch of the church. And um, that, was, that was kind of like resistant to the whole idea of the presence of God. And one day, or not one day, she, in a season, she, she contracted meningitis. And uh, she was telling the story, and there was a group of local Christians who wanted to pray for healing for her. 
And uh, she did not want that. And, and she tells it in a British accent. It's a lot better when she tells it. But basically, she didn't want it because they were going to invade her personal space. They were going to lay hands on her. And they were going to you know, get all swarmy and sweaty. And it's just going to be all gross, right? And uh, she was like, what do I do? Talking to her husband. Um, and her husband's like, they're not going away. Let's just let them do their thing. So they, these Christians came over, and they laid hands on her. They, got her. they invaded her personal space. They laid sweaty, swarmy hands, and she was healed of meningitis. She went back the next week, and it was gone. Like it was, her body was, was healed. And then she goes, I didn't know what to do with that. There was the presence about that. And as she spoke and as she told her story and she encouraged us and, and us in the room were pastors and church planters, she encouraged us um, to seek the presence of God. As she spoke, th that, that stirring started happening in me again. We had just celebrated as Hope Brooklyn our one-year anniversary, our one-year birthday. And I realized how little, during this period of time, I realized how little I had been trusting in the Lord. And here's the thing, friends. Our words mean very little. We know this. I can tell Anna I love her, but if I never like wash the dishes or if I never give her back rubs, which are literally her favorite thing in the world, then I'm not really communicating I love her. Words are hollow, right? Why I say that is because I was saying I was trusting in God in this season, and yet my body was filled with such anxiety. I was exhausted which is evidence that I wasn't really trusting that God was doing this. I was trusting in myself. And just so we're clear, anytime you see the word believe in the New Testament, whoever believes in me, says Jesus. The word is pistuo in Greek, which should not be translated believe, but trust. Because for us in the West, when we hear the word believe or belief, we think cognitively. We think believing in Jesus is knowing things knowing the right words, saying the right words. It's not. It's trusting. It's living a life that demonstrates that I actually, my life demonstrates that I don't think I'm in control. And so I had gotten to a place where I trusted myself, where the work of the church was about my knowledge or my ability to communicate or lead or strategize, and God was simply the product I was selling. But if you bought it, it was on the merits of the salesman, not on God testifying on his own behalf. And so as, as Eleanor Mumford's talking, there's a stirring in me again, and I'm recognizing it. And I realized that, that in that moment, God was saying just, and it sort of came up from the inside out, and I know that's tough to explain, but it, I wasn't manufacturing or conjuring it. It just sort of emerged. I just felt like God was saying, the presence was saying, ask something of me, whatever you want. And so I said, Lord, I would love a sign of your love for me. I feel like I haven't encountered that in a while. I would just love to know that you're present, you're here, and that you love me. Not for what I do, but you just love me. A day later, Thursday morning, we all showed up for the conference, and the presence in the room was thick. It was one of those days where you just show up, and you immediately just start quivering. The tears are falling, because there's, so there's something else here in this space which is commanding our attention. And we just started worshiping. And as we worshiped, I, was, I just wept. I was broken. And while I worshiped, an, an image came to my head. I don't know why, but an image came to my head of when I was 16 years old, 
when I was in that hospital bed, the very first time I encountered the presence of God, like encountered him. And I, I mean, so I just worshiped and I encountered God again and, and it was beautiful. And I thought back to what it was like when I was 16 and I was just so moved. I was so moved because what you have to understand is when I was 16 and when I was sitting in that hospital, I mean, 16 already sucks, right? Like that's a terrible age. Uh, maybe you killed it at 16. Power to you if you did. Um, but I did not. And so it was already a bad age. And then I'm having this massive surgery that's like reconstructing all these different bones in my face. I felt pretty low in my life. I felt pretty ugly and unlovable, which is why it was so incredible that the Spirit of God chose that moment to encounter me with His presence. Because you know, I'm sure it could happen, but at least at that point, I couldn't get any lower in how I viewed myself. I was, I was in the pits. And God just comes upon me and his presence says, here as you are, I choose you. Which is the incredible thing about the gospel, guys. That's why it's good news. That's why we fail if we don't remember this. The gospel is that at your absolute worst, the presence of God is saying, I choose you. I love you. I'm for you. So as I'm worshiping, you know, or at the New City Conference, I'm worshiping and, and that image is coming to mind and I'm just overcome with joy and gratitude that God would remind me of what it was like when he first met me. It's kind of like um, when you're in a relationship and you start reminiscing on your first date, so to speak. Um, not to make it weird as Jesus is my lover or anything like that, but you know what I'm talking about. Like you reminisce, you sort of feel the nostalgia of the moment. That's what it was. And then the speaker got up and he preached. And the word he preached was on the story of Gideon. And Gideon is an interesting story. It's, it's in the book of Judges. And to get a little context, there's no ruler in Israel at this time. God just raises up a judge. He raises up a ruler when Israel needs it. And so Israel is being overcome by a, an invading power, a neighboring power. And God goes to Gideon and he says, go in the power and the strength of the Lord. I choose you. And Gideon's like, you got the wrong guy. Because according to his own admission, he goes, I am the least in my family and we are, our family's already part of the smallest tribe. So I'm the lowest of the lowest. You got the wrong guy. And God says, go, I choose you. Gideon goes and uh, fast forward to this story that he's talking about. Gideon is leading an army of thousands against another army. And God comes to Gideon again. He says, Gideon, don't go, in, don't go into battle yet. And Gideon's like, why is that? He goes, you have too many men. I can't save you with this amount of people. Which is, if you think about it, it's a really odd thing to say. Because in a war, usually those with more men defeat those with less men, right? Like that kind of makes sense. And I'm sure Gideon's like, wait, because I have too much, you can't save me? And God's like, there you go. Now you're getting it. And as he says, whittle down your army. Gideon does so. Ultimately, he whittles down his army to 300 men against an army of thousands. And God's like, all right, with these 300, I can finally save you. You had too much before. Now I can save you. You know the story. Gideon leads his army and they win. <laughs> they win. God delivers the army of Israel. 
And so as, this, as the speaker is, is talking about the story, and he's talking to a room full of church planters and pastors, and he's trying to encourage them, he goes, God is taking you back, O oh church planter, to before you had people, before you had money, before you had a building, he's taking you back. He's whittling down your army. He's taking you back to when it was just you and him. And when God was in that space and said to you, go in the power of my love. And why is that incredible, guys? And as he said it, it just wrecked me. Again, the presence was just moving in me. It's incredible because God had just done that with me. When I was worshiping, overcome with the presence of God, what did he show to me? He showed to me the very first time he came upon me. When I was 16, he took me back already to when I had nothing. I had not a spouse. I had no church plant, nothing I was doing for God. He took me to my absolute worst, the moment when he met me and said, I love you. Go in my power. Go in my power. At my lowest, God had showed up for the first time. So through this guy and on this day, and remember my prayer a day prior had been, Lord, just give me a sign of your love. And the presence showed up and worked something so incredible. And if that wasn't enough already, because uh, Anna was also there at the conference. As it was finishing up, a friend of ours texted us and said, hey, um, I think this is from God and I want you to, to know it. And it was Isaiah 35. And again, we're sort of coming out of this season of being really broken and exhausted. And, um, and this is what God gave our friend. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it the splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong. Do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance. With divine retribution, he will come to save you. Fast forward another year, March 2019. Over that next year, it was a really good year. Um, I was learning what it was to, to pray differently, to not just ask God for things, but to listen to what God was saying about me, about my, my, my family, about you guys, about Brooklyn. And I was praying and I was worshiping like crazy. I was worshiping like I was doing when I was a child again, where I didn't care what anyone thought of me. It was just so good to be in the presence of my father. And I was dialoguing with God and I was praying and it was, and it was really good because God wasn't an idea anymore. He was a presence again. He was a spirit that was dwelling in me and speaking to me. And, and as I prayed, I prayed for abundance. I prayed for overflow. I prayed for the parched land to be glad. I prayed for groundswell for all of us. Now, just to be clear, I still had issues we still have issues. We are, we are not Jesus. We are 
fallen creatures who are learning what it is to live in relationship with God's spirit again, in God's love and in his power. So we are still works of progress on this journey and that never ceases. But I was slowly relenting control of my life. I was slowly allowing him uh, to take more ownership, lordship of me. And um, March 24th, 2019, we baptized seven people. Many of you are here for that. And that was one of the best days of my life. That was one of the most incredible services. Uh, I walked into the space early and the presence was just there. I just started to cry before like the band was warming up and I was just sitting there crying. They're like, Russ, service hasn't even begun. And I'm like, I can't help it. <laughs> just weeping. The presence was there. It was, it was an incredible day to hear the people who were baptized share why, why they were being baptized, how they had encountered God, to see the community, to eat together. It was just so thick and rich. And then the very next day, it went completely silent. And not just the presence of God, but the emotional closeness completely disappeared. And my soul became parched and prickly for two and a half months. <laughs> stuff started unraveling in me and around me. And that's not necessarily a negative thing. Unraveling is not necessarily negative, guys. Um, it was just a sign that I wasn't in control, that God was doing a new thing. I wasn't anxious as much during this. I was crying out to God to speak, to help, to move. And then in May, and that was in March, in May, I know this timeline is probably getting really confusing. I apologize for it. Um, but it makes sense in my head, which is all that matters, I guess. Um, that's not true at all. That is not all that matters. But in May, we had the, a new city conference again, the same one from the previous year. And in May, uh, one night I came home from it and I was just worshiping and my soul was pretty low, was pretty low. And I was just worshiping and the presence returned. It just enveloped me. The presence of God enveloped me and overcame me. And I, and I, I felt like I received a word of prophecy, which I know is a very strange word for many in this room. Um, but it basically just means words of goodness, words of life, um, words of truth for us as a people. And the, the gist of it, I won't tell you the whole thing, but the gist of the word was groundswell. Groundswell was happening and it was about to happen in us as a people. And so I asked for a sign. I was like, okay, God, what, if this is you, what is the sign this is gonna happen? And he gave me a sign. He gave me a phrase that made no sense to me at the time. That was in May. Fast forward to June 9th, Sunday morning. In this period between March and June, I had been in a spiritual funk. I had been pretty dry, pretty depressed. I woke up with my alarm, which sounds pretty odd, but that was a really big deal because that's usually what I do. And I hadn't in this season. I woke up with my alarm. I felt very peaceful. I felt very content. And I went to my devotions. And my devotions, where I was at in my reading plan, was this, Second Chronicles 5 and 6. Then the temple of the Lord was filled with the cloud, and the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the temple of God. And my other devotion was in John, John 14, where Jesus is leaving his disciples, and he says, it's good that I go so that I can send you the Holy Spirit to lead you into all truth and righteousness. So both of these passages 
on this day where I woke up alert for the first time, we're speaking about the Spirit of God indwelling um, and one, the temple of Israel that Solomon had built, and the second, the people, the followers of Jesus. But the, temp- the, the presence, the Spirit, entering them and leading them into the next stage of their journey. And as I turned to my prayer journal that morning, I suddenly realized, and I, hadn't, I didn't know it, that it was Pentecost Sunday. Which for those who don't know, Pentecost Sunday is the day in the church calendar where we celebrate where God pours out his spirit on his followers. The presence of Jesus was thick, was thick. And then we entered into the summer. And many of you all know um, the, the stage and the season we've been in this summer. That very next week after, after June 9th, that very next week, some of our staff informed me that they were going to transition out. And luckily with our staff, because it's not the case with, with, in, in, in all situations, luckily with our staff, none of it was because of drama in the staff. We all love each other, really, probably a little too much. Um, so it wasn't because of drama, it was because of life, life stuff, new stuff on the horizons, uh, new jobs, um, just, just not enough time, not enough bandwidth. Uh, but it was still a lot. Because here it was, some of our key staff members being, being taken away, and probably chief of them, as many of you all know, Nathan and Steph, discerned from God that, that they had fulfilled their assignment. Um, and if you don't know who Nathan and Steph is, they were, other than Anna and me, they were, they were like the, the original two. There was us four that, that started Hope Brooklyn. And uh, they, they had fulfilled their assignment um, to help get Hope Brooklyn started. And so then I was thinking, oh, are they Jesus? When Jesus says, it's good that I go, uh, it's because I can send you the Holy Spirit. Are they like Jesus saying, hey, we got to go now so the Holy Spirit can come? Uh, maybe, who knows? Um, but that was this summer. So just a little recap. I'm learning to listen to God. I'm learning to live in the activity of the Spirit over the last two years. I'm learning to pray, not like, wistfully, but boldly. I'm learning to listen, to say God does speak within us. His presence dwells thick within us. And I'm listening and I'm speaking over people, over our community, over Brooklyn. After the most glorious Sunday I had ever experienced, a funk comes. And in the midst of that spiritual funk, that malaise, God overcomes me again and gives me a prophecy, gives me a word of where we're going as a church. And that word is groundswell, which he had given a while ago. And when I ask God, what's the sign that this is going to happen? Uh, Basically what the sign was is that pruning precedes presence. Pruning precedes presence. Pentecost Sunday is when the funk breaks. That's a funny phrase, when the funk breaks. (laughs) The funk never breaks. (laughs) The peace and the presence returns, and the passages I'm reading are about the cloud, the Spirit of God, indwelling his people in the temple. And then the very next week, some of our staff says, hey, it's time for us to transition. The pruning that precedes the presence. So I knew that this fall, 
it was time to do a series on Groundswell. It was time to do a series to talk about the next stage of your relationship with God. And some of y'all in here are not in a relationship with God, and that's totally fine. You are welcome here. But to talk about what does it look like <laughs> when the presence of God is not just FaceTime, but is face-to-face. What does he want of us? And again, it's a, it's a terrifying proposition, but it's also the best thing in the world. So just to be clear, that's what we're doing this fall, and I don't know what it's going to look like fully. It's a bad idea when we get in our heads expectations or images of, oh, it's going to look like this. God shatters those. And chief, chief shattering image is Jesus himself, where the Israelites thought they knew what the Messiah was going to look like, and yet the Messiah did not show up as they expected, as a little child. So I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't know what God is going to do. I just know that he's calling us into the next stage where he says, hey, I want to be deeply present among you in this place. Will you allow me? So the sermons, as we talk about John, they're going to be making God look really beautiful, but they're also going to be allowing God to speak directly to us, speak directly to you. They're going to be God inviting us deeper, laying down things that we hold to so tightly, pruning branches in your heart and on your life, things that need to be cut off because they are actually um, holding you back from truly being in relationship with Jesus. Breaking chains on your heart of past traumas, delivering you from past words and experiences and seasons that are holding you back from living fully in the Spirit of God. The worship it's going to be really important. We're going to have extended times of worship. And I want you to notice, even in my own story, how much of God's work happens in worship. And that's not uncommon. That's all in the Bible. So may, maybe you already know this, but the book of Psalms, which Jay referenced earlier, you read the book of Psalms, they're poems. They're actually the prayer book of Israel. They're the prayer book. So these were the prayers that were written down that Israel prayed. But they didn't just speak them. You know what they did? They sang them. Israel sang its prayers to God, which is why singing together as a community is so important. It's a vulnerability that comes in our hearts when we sing. We, we, we feel silly, and that's a really good thing, because when you feel silly, when you feel like you're not in control, God has room to move and to speak. And just so you know, for anyone who's like, um, a doubter in the room. Human nature, there's a great book called The Righteous Mind by Jonathan Haidt. Um, and he basically makes the case, and I think convincingly, that we like to think that we're very rational creatures. We're not. Human nature uh, is primarily uh, an intuitionist creature, an emotional creature. He, he, we are not rational primarily at our source. We are, we are tribal. We're intuitionists. We have instincts. We're instinctual. And so what he talks about, he calls it the rider and the elephant. Uh, the elephant is when something happens and it, like the elephant uh, responds without us thinking about it. And then the rider of the elephant, he says, that's our reason that tries to make sense of why we responded the way we did. But what does that mean? It means the deepest part of us is not our reason. The deepest part of us 
is emotion, is instinct, is love, is affection, is desire. That's the deepest part of your humanity. And that can't be awoken to the degree that it is in worship through a sermon. It can. Sermons are important. But basically what we do is when we show up, the elephant on the stage leads us into a certain space. And then the writer, me, I explain what just happened, essentially. That's what's going on. So what God does makes sense of our human hardwiring as well. So worship is going to be really important in this next season. I would ask you, therefore, and this, is, this, is, this might be the biggest ask of them all to New Yorkers. You ready? Here's my ask. Be on time. <laughs> as much as it's within your power, and I know those, those subway lines are crazy on the weekends. Come expectant. Be on time. Be ready. Be anticipating the presence of God that wants to speak to you in a real, real way. And then the last change that's going to happen as we move into this fall, we're going to have a prayer room. Usually as service ends, we have prayer up here at the front. We're not going to do that anymore. Instead, where the nursery currently is, we're going to put the prayer room and we're going to move the nursery upstairs. Don't worry, parents. We're going to explain it all. It's going to be really intuitive. But we're going to have in that space over there a prayer room for people to go at any point during the service. We'll have people out there uh, during or after where there's a prompting or where there's a stirring in your heart to go and receive prayer. But I want to be very clear. Um, the prayer is going to be a little different. It's not just going to be holding your hands and affirming you, but we're going to be listening to what God might be wanting to say to you in this moment. We're going to be listening to what, what knowledge might be coming. In the same way that as I worship, that image came to me, we're going to be listening for what images might be coming to mind, what, what words might be coming to mind about you that, again, if God is alive, a living presence can speak to us about you to break chains off your life, to set you free. We're gonna be listening. What pain is in your body? What word or season or habit keeps you bound in your shame or your addiction or your fear? We believe that what's gonna happen in prayer moving forward is not just listening to you and taking your request to God, which we will do, but actually listening to what God might wanna say to you in that moment how God might want to minister to you in that moment. So that kicks off next Sunday, 11 a.m. I want to invite the band back up here, and we're going to close with this. I want to be very clear, very clear. Because we're saying invite a friend. You can invite a friend. It's not going to be weird. I promise you that. <laughs> It's not going to be unnecessarily weird. There will be no snakes in the front. You know, like it's, it's not going to be weird. God isn't weird. We, we do such a disservice when we make a relationship with God, life with God weird. God's not weird, but he is after your heart. He does want a complete communion and fellowship with him. He does want that. It's not going to be weird. Bring a friend, and not just for next Sunday, but for the whole fall. The fall is a great time to build community, and I think we have the best community there is because this is a community not premised on us being able to love each other well because we can't. We're flawed humans, 
but it's premised on when we're at our lowest or when we, we fail or it's premised on God being able to love us so well. And we know that because we see Jesus and we have his spirit within us. So to conclude, I want to read the whole Isaiah 35 that my friend sent Anna and me that speaks of the presence of God like a groundswell, a groundswell of water gushing forth and rising up all around us, soaking every crevice in our souls. And what I would ask you this week is to be in prayer about that as we get ready to kick off fall and this next season as a community next Sunday. So will you close your eyes and would we hear Isaiah 35 as a prayer before we come to the Lord's table. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it. The splendor of Carmel and Sharon they will see the glory of the Lord and the splendor of our God. Strengthen the feeble hands. Steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool, the thirsty ground bubbling springs. In the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow. And a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk on that way. The unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there, nor any ravenous beast. They will not be found there. But only the redeemed will walk there. And those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing, everlasting joy will crown their heads, gladness and joy will overtake them, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. God, that is our prayer. Even right now, would you stir in the hearts of everyone in this room? Would they catch a glimpse of your presence? Would they catch a glimpse of the ground swell, of the God who has not abandoned the world, but has come to save it, has come to turn the desert into streams of living water in our world, in our relationships, in our very souls, the parched, dry places of every heart. You long, O oh God, 
to fill with your presence. So prepare our hearts, strengthen our hands, make steady our feeble knees, for our God will come with divine retribution. He will come to save us. To find out more about the mission of Hope Brooklyn, details about Sunday gatherings, brunch, how to financially contribute, and a whole lot more, check us out online at www.hopebrooklyn.org. Thanks to Liz Vice at lizvice.com for the music and to you for tuning in. See you next week.